I, I was holding back a burp during that most of that. Alright, final take. Fourth and final take. Once the intro's in, <laughs> everything then, else then, is then gonna we just follow. Roll. Then we just roll. That's right. Hello and welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm Brandon Hovac. Today joined by Josh Steele to break down Delaware's 21-16 victory against Albany, which pushed the Blue Hens to 7-2 on the season and 5-1 in the CAA. Following the win, the Blue Hens have a share of the CAA lead with Maine, who is also 5-1 in CAA play, but they have the most wins, 7 overall, of any team in conference play. Josh, it was not pretty by any means. <sighs> no, it was not the not. Blue Hens' best win of the season, but what do you take away from that performance earlier this evening? Well, the defense was able to make the stands that they needed to. Um, especially the Charles Bell interception. I think it was right on the two-yard line uh, that he was able to pick that ball off and in, and then take that ball, gosh, 75 yards uh, down the field. It, it, that was an incredible play. And then as well, you look at the, uh, the Ray Jones safety for the first two points of the game. At that point, it was halfway through the second quarter, um, and it wasn't until then that one team or the other was really trying to take a stand. It was, you know, taking a drive and then, okay, you know, fourth down, that didn't go well, or, you know, interception. So uh, it really, that, that Ray Jones safety really was what pushed them Delaware in that first half. Uh, and then, of course, that second half of, of play when Albany came out and outscored us for that first little bit. Um, it, it, it was really scary up in the booth watching that because you were like, oh, man, like, this is a, there's a chance that Albany might win this football game. You and I were on the call for WVD throughout the afternoon out at Casey Stadium, and right now we're actually up here in Albany, New York, still in our hotel room mm -hmm. a few feet from the stadium, doing the tie line setup once again, which Jake <laughs> and I did out in North Dakota. But it's a lot of fun to be able to, to get to see the game travel up here, to see the team on the road, and then to see that type of game the way it unfolded. It turned out to be, I think, a lot more exciting than both of us expected oh, yeah. heading into this week. I expected this to be a pretty convincing, pretty easy, if you will, win for the Blue Hens. Yeah. I thought it would be a fairly large margin. But I also thought if they lost the game or that if the game was close, it was going to be because they made a handful of clear mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because maybe Pat Kehoe throws a pick six that gives Albany an early score in the game. Or what we saw last week against Towson where they have the two special teams plays with the punts snaps way over the punter's head and maybe give them a free safety or give them a free touchdown that way. That wasn't necessarily the case today. Delaware did not turn the football over. It just was throughout the beginning of this game. They were not the more efficient team. Towson moved the football in the second and third quarters better than Delaware did, which is not something that anybody across this conference no. would have expected. But when we get down to that defining drive, 235 left in the fourth quarter, Delaware trailing by one. 18-yard line, 88 yards to go, or 82 yards to go, excuse me. And they are able to put out three completions to Joe Walker and then the huge run by Kanai Kane on third down, which sets up one more completion to Joe Walker, and then the 14-yard Kanai Kane touchdown run a few plays later, yep. which put the Delaware in the lead and was eventually the game-winning score for the Blue Hens. Yeah, I mean, you said it during the broadcast that it was definitely that Kanai Kane third down run that put us with another first down that really put us over the edge. Uh, and then another Joe Walker setting up that first down. And then being on the 14-yard line, I think you, you turn to me and say, you know, what do, what do we do here, you know? Uh, it's This is setting up About for About 30 seconds left in the game. Yeah. They have one timeout in it the pocket. It sets up 
potentially sets up a, a 31-yard Rago field goal. I mean, for those for those last two minutes, we were kind of on Rago watch. Like, all right, he hit a 49-yarder earlier, but the wind was at his back, you know, going going towards it. Um, and so you, you kind of turned to me and you were like, all right, like, if this is the shot, you know, we're, we, we still have a chance to win this game. We just got to put it through the uprights. And then Kanai Kane takes that incredible 14-yard run in off that left side and you know it's a 21 it's a 20 to 16 and then of course Rago hits the or actually it was 21 16 and, and they, they went for they two missed the extra or they missed the two-point conversion so um trying to get to trying to get it to 23 16 uh to make it a definitive one score game but uh that was definitely one of the the the, the defining moments in that game um the really those last two and a half minutes defined what blue hens football has been this year it's been come from behind. It's been second half strong football, and really today we were a first half strong team. But it, it was just different. It didn't feel like I was watching a UD game, um, simply because of the fact that you know it 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 wasn't entertaining really. I mean, it was you know they had that big Ray Jones safety. And what we've come to expect from this team is the big place, right? Yeah. They come out last week in the second half after struggling in the first half with a 49-yard pass to Vinny Papali. And yeah. then later on, there's the 30-plus-yard touchdown pass up the sideline to Joe Walker. Yeah. He saw it against New Hampshire, some big plays. Big plays against Elon, the yep. big pass to Papali there, which was the put-ahead touchdown for the Blue Hens. Today, not really none of, of the sort. There's the one play to Walker, mm-hmm. which set up the Kane touchdown, the first Kane touchdown. Wasn't that the the one where we get stopped on fourth down, though? I think that's when, I thought that was when we got stopped on fourth yeah, down. Yeah, you're right. And so, I mean, it was, we ha- we would get all this momentum, and then we would just And it was stop. just that one play really got him down there. Yeah. And then uh, they, they go to that jumbo package in the first couple of times that Delaware ran that today, unlike the previous couple of weeks against Towson and Elon. Albany was onto it a little bit, and they yeah. were able to stop Kane. He did get in the final attempt in that kind yeah. of jumbo package, although it was a little bit of a different look with motioning Krakowski and starting with Walker split out wide as opposed to as the quarterback and then motioning out wide, but so kind of a similar formation for Delaware to show there. But to the to the Kane run back on third and one, I think why that's so crucial is because you're at a point in the field where it's a long 40 or maybe 50-yard field goal by yeah. Frank Rago, but if you don't pick up the first down, it's close enough that you probably have to attempt that field goal into tough kicking conditions. But you know, if you had been back 5, 10 yards, you're probably thinking four-down territory. Yep. So it's third and one. If he got stopped there, which it looked like he was about to because Albany sells out, they're in cover zero, everybody's one-on-one man coverage on the outside, yep. and every safety or defensive back that would typically have a responsibility of covering a tight end or running back or a zone is rushing to play the run. And they get a safety or a linebacker free up in that slot that Delaware was trying to run into, and Kane spins right off of him. And then he gets to the line of scrimmage and pushes the pile forward for three or four yards. And it'd be an entirely different conversation we'd be having here, in my opinion, if he did not pick up that first down either. Rago hits a massive game-winning field goal from distance, they go for it on fourth and maybe pick it up, or they don't get it on fourth down, and or or if Rago misses it, and Albany oh, gets their the first CAA win of the season yep. pretty easily. And I mean, it, like you had mentioned, it's not like we played a great game. I mean, it was it was I I said it, you know it wasn't very fun to watch until those last five minutes I'd say, um, and for the most part it it was a 
it was just a bad game by Delaware. It wasn't like we came out and wowed them. We didn't give them razzle-dazzle football. We And we didn't really punt either. I mean, Nick Pritchard ended up punting four or five times um, in the second half. But in that first... yeah, Five punts. Five punts throughout the game. But I think only one of those came in that first half. We were winning, what, 12-3? to 12-3 to three at halftime. And so, I mean, you know, we went into the, the locker room. And, and one thing that I think um, really put wind in Albany sails was was Danny Rocco calling that timeout before the second half and then them being able to go with go with that and say okay it's second and seven we're going to go for it here we're going to send a, a long shot down the field and if under <laughs> and if under Cuffler's throw was any better that would have been a touchdown there and it would have been 12-7 going into half um, but I think that I think that Danny Rocco might think that this team, I don't know if it was him th- him believing in the Blue Hens or him not believing in Albany, uh, but he thought, you know what, oh, you're going you're gonna to try to run it on uh, second and seven, we're going to call the timeout. Or on first and ten, get to second and seven, right. we're going to call that timeout. If you're going to run the football here and just think we're going into the locker room, we're going to get the ball back and try to score again. Yeah. And I think that's a, um, I think that's a pretty cocky way of, of viewing things. I mean, I think that Delaware had come into this one thinking that they were the top dogs. And, and they, they should have been. And, and by true. the end of the game, I guess they did show themselves to be. But not in outstanding fashion. No. I mean, it, it really All took. the gambles they took in the first part of this game didn't really pay off, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not able to pull away in the game. They go for three times on fourth down. Weather, I think, played a role in some of those decisions. But at the end of the day, they're one for three on fourth down in the first half. And then... That sequence there gets Albany on the board before halftime, and like you said, perhaps if Greg Catuso on the other sideline is a little bit more aggressive, which yeah. we were saying maybe he should be, given the talent differential between these two teams, yeah. they could have been twelve to seven. And now this end game scenario, we're talking about a different type of football game in the second half. Uh, but give the Delaware Blue Hens, I think, credit for that drive that we're talking about with yep. Kane to be able to go eleven plays, eighty plus yards when you need it, with two thirty-five to go, and that's something that you and I both talked about at the end of the game on the broadcast this Delaware football team somehow week to week has found ways to win these close contested contests uh games contested (laughs) contests you can tell it's 10 o'clock here we've been doing radio for three or four hours today but you know they found a way to to pull out these games they've done it different ways I asked this question a couple of weeks ago to Jake saying does this give you more confidence in the Blue Hens team that they're able to make mistakes and still win a game, and he said it gives him less confidence yeah. because how many more times can they pull these games out? But he said that two weeks ago, yeah. three weeks ago. He said that after the Richmond game, and they pulled out a win against Elon. They pulled out the win last week, obviously, against Towson, and they pull out the win today against Albany, all games in which they made mistakes that in many cases would set teams back to an un- unparalleled margin, a margin that they can't come back from. I think the big question is how many rabbits does Danny Rocco have left in his hat? I think that's the ultimate question that you have to ask is, you know, we pulled out all these big wins, but we made mistakes there. This is a football team that if one play goes one way over another, we could be in the same standings as a team like Albany. I mean, obviously, uh, that big win over... Uh, New Hampshire, that was a New Hampshire game. and Richmond, they would have won. But yeah. you look at the, all the other games, it's close. Yeah, and I mean, there was a, there's a chance that we could be, there's a chance we could be two and four 
in the CAA if one play happens differently in each game. You know, if, if they're able to stop Kanai Kane on third and one, setting up a Frank Rago field goal that he shanks, or if, you know, if Brent Richardson catches it last week for Towson, you know, um, if we're not able to score against Elon in that second half, like the way that we did, and they stop us on one play. These are not statement wins. I mean, they, they are for the program, but these are not, we're coming out and we're trouncing these teams. Right. They're statements in terms of the stakes and what's on the line, but not necessarily in the way that the game unfolds. No, they're winning ugly football games. And, you know, one play switch switches the outcome of a lot of these games. And, um, I mean, I, I agree with Jake. You know, how many more mistakes can we make and still stay at the top of this conference? I guess I'd throw just a little bit of the counter to that in saying that most games are going to come down to those couple of plays here and there, especially yep. in a league that's this competitive like the CAA is, the best conference at this level, basically in everybody's opinion, based on how many teams week after week after week are in the FCS stats top 25. So I think Delaware, in comparison to previous seasons, has found something that gives them an edge, a belief that they can pull out the games at the end. And that's not enough to just to do it, but I think the talent level in a game like this against Albany is enough to where if they can pull it together when they need to in those couple of critical moments, in the drive last week that ends in the Vinny Papali touchdown, in the drive in this game, which ends in the Kanai Kane touchdown, that's something that they couldn't have done in years prior. And that's, I think, a difference between this year's team and what makes them a playoff team and a team that could do some damage down the road and previous year's teams where they were on the fringe of the playoffs and eventually didn't get it in but weren't going to win a game like this yeah. in previous seasons. They would have turned the ball you know, They would have made that final nail in the coffin type mistake. <laughs> Coming into this game, Delaware defensively, it seemed, had a clear advantage, and through much of it, we both agreed on the broadcast that they played well. Taking a look at what Albany put up against Delaware and why this game ended up being so close, we have to look at the performance of the true freshman quarterback, Jeff Undercuff. Jeff, Jeff Undercuffler. That wasn't even intentional. Jeff Undercuffler. Jeff Undercuffler. <laughs> true freshman quarterback. <laughs> Uh, first career start last week, he came in after both Vincent Testaverde, their regular season starting quarterback all the way to this point, and their backup, Will Brunson, got hurt yeah. against Maine. So he comes in, first pass of his career, touchdown. Yep. He was just 2 of 6 last week. Today, not perfect, 15 of 28, 171 yards. He throws two interceptions, the one to Charles Bell in the red zone, pretty costly, and Bell's able to take it back into the Blue Hens plus territory and then one just right at the end of the game to Troy Reader. But he made plays, and we commented during the broadcast in many ways he outplayed the quarterback on the other side of the field, Pat Kehoe, who goes 16 of 35 for 174 yards, though he did not turn the ball over. Yeah. Uh, and I think that one of the bigger things was the 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 complimentary play of Carl Mofer, uh, Ibatoken Hanks, um, uh, Elijah Ibatoken Hanks, and Jeff Undercuffler. Those, I think those three guys played so well together 
Um, and on the field, like watching the broadcast, it, it seemed as though Mofer was was better for, than 12 for 54. There was that big play that got called back. Um, but other than that, I mean, it really seemed like those guys were running all over. S- very similar to how it felt like Shane Simpson was running all over Delaware. And he, what, I mean, he put up, what, 123 or something? Yeah, 124, uh, something like 21 that. 21 carries. Yeah, and um, those those huge kick returns. Yeah. Um, but And then the same thing, it, it seemed like Elijah Ibatok and Hanks, in, the, in a very similar fashion, was just putting up these ridiculous numbers. And then when you look back at the, at the, the stat sheet at the end of the game, the box score... And you see, you know, 15 for 82 and a touchdown for Ibatoke and Hanks. 12 for 54 and a touchdown for Carl Mofer. Um, I mean, even like when you look at uh, receptions, um, Gerald Reeves was 4 for 83. Uh, he had that big 38-yard um, catch off that right side where if, if uh, Undercuffler threw it a little bit better... That's six. It, w- it was six points. Uh, and that was really Undercuffler's big thing was under-throwing those receivers. He had a, a big touchdown to his tight end, um, uh, was uh, was Neski, uh, that just was underthrown. He had a big throw to Jawan Green and Jarrah Reeves. They were both just underthrown passes. Um, he potentially had three touchdowns in this game that he just couldn't get enough arm on. And my, my thought is, if they had Vincent Testaverde, who hasn't been playing great, or, you know, maybe you they, said it a bunch more touch, or excuse me, more interceptions than touchdowns uh, heading into this game. Eleven touchdowns, twelve interceptions. Or maybe if they had Brunson, who played against Delaware last year. Yep, was their starter all through last season while Testaverde, who was a transfer, sat out. Or Nick Burns, who is a transfer from a, a community college, I believe, in Oklahoma. Um, you know, that was a three. You you had said that you talked to uh, for that first podcast for this first podcast. You talked to media members and one of them from Albany, um, about this three-way quarterback battle. And who would have thought that by week nine, we'd be talking about... The fourth guy. The fourth guy that, that wasn't even... That true freshman, I mean, of course, 6'5", 220, he's got a quarterback build. But, you know, we, we wouldn't have thought that this guy would be, you know, leading this this Great Danes team come when Delaware <laughs> has to play them. So, um, And I, I would say, for a guy in his first start, he did leave throws on the field and yes. they're going to go back and look at those and wish they had them and think they should have won this football game and those are all very valid points but he threw for 171 passing yards I mean how many times last year did a Delaware quarterback do that did J.P. Caruso well, you know, was J.P. Caruso able to do that in his first collegiate start or Joe Walker in his first collegiate start I think you saw a lot of encouraging things from under Cluffler and it is a little bit Surprising to see him at this point in the season. Nick Burns was active, and it was reported by a couple different media outlets that they were expecting to see him in this game at some point. Yeah. I guess it played out close enough that they just stuck with the guy who had gotten them to this point in under Cluffler. But I think there are some positive things for, for Albany to take from under Cluffler's performance. That being said, if it's Vincent Testaverde in that big spot at the end of the game, do pl- things play out differently? Who knows? Maybe that's another thing to put in the list of things that went Delaware's way in this yeah. game and in this season. What did you think of the defense's performance for Delaware as a whole? We mentioned Troy Reader a little bit, who had an interception at the end of the game. I thought he made a few big plays. Charles Bell has an interception as well. Who stood out to you, and who maybe who left a little bit on the field too? Um, I mean, Nasir Adderley had a couple of plays where he was... 
two, three steps behind the receiver, and if it weren't for bad throws from undercuffler, he would have been burned. And, you know, I, I mentioned it a lot in the broadcast about, you know, this is an NFL prospect that is three steps behind a collegiate receiver. You know, you know, what can what can they expect? I mean, this is of course someone who assembles a highlight reel performance in almost every game who almost had a, a toe-tap interception at the end of this game that would have been a third undercuffler interception. Um, but, I mean, Nasir Adderley left a lot on the field today. Someone who didn't, and I, I mean, you can pull up the, the stats for Troy Reader. Um, obviously, that, that huge interception at the end of the game Just to, to seal really, it. To Just really to to it seal it. Um, Leads the team once again with eight tackles. But only eight? I mean, of course, I say only eight. Like right, that's, but 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 that's that's a low for the if you take the last four games. That's the first time he's under ten in the last four. Yeah, I mean Charles Bell, seventy-two yard interception return for him. Ray Jones with a safety. Um, we do need to talk about, and this might be a good point to do it. Ray Jones penalty. Yeah. On the drive that ended in the Elijah Ibatokenhang seven-yard touchdown run, which at the time gave Albany their first lead mm-hmm. at sixteen to fifteen. Yep. That is a penalty that against Stony Brook, against Maine in the playoffs, against Towson in the playoffs, James Madison in the playoffs, those teams are going to capitalize on, and they're not going to let you back into the game with 15-yard personal foul penalties like that. Absolutely not. Um, And and that was the big thing is I think that a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, well, you know, Ray got the safety, but they're going to kind of sweep under the rug the fact that he had that that big, big personal foul penalty. Right. It would have been a third and nine from inside Tau- or, uh, Albany's own like 35-yard line, and instead it almost flipped the field to the opposite side of the 50 and gave him an automatic first down. I believe the score of the game at the time was uh, 16-10. 15-10 15, Delaware. 15-10 Delaware. Um, and it would have been 15-13 had that penalty not been called, and they were able to convert a field goal rather than that touchdown um, and that 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 very small, you know, it was a, um, I guess, unnecessary roughness slash chatter. Um, yeah, like that. Con- like it was really just him talking, right? It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't even. Um, yeah, no, I I don't know exactly the situation. That's something that we can report on more. But from our vantage point, it didn't seem like there was physical play on the field that resulted in it. It must have been something verbal that was said. Yeah, um, and and to that extent. You know, those are just emotions running high. But like you said, if this is against a one of these top teams in the CAA, if that happened right. last I week. I mean, Albany took advantage of it and scored. What's yeah. what's going to happen if it's, you name it. Yeah. I mean, teams especially, above Delaware right now. Especially teams that we've beaten that we gave them enough, you know, enough fuel to their fire as it is. We don't need to give them that. Um, one thing that I noticed from this team, and I, I, I said in the broadcast almost as a, as a question, but we only had one sack in that game. Um, which is not a testament to how good their offensive line was. It was more of a testament to the fact that for the second straight week, we haven't been able to apply the atom, the, the, the uh, appropriate pressure. Towson had a good offensive line. Or it's that our defensive line has not been applying pressure because Tom Flacco last week had maybe 10 seconds to throw. And even when he did and we applied pressure, he somehow was able to get out of those those sacks. Um, you know, one of them we mentioned maybe should have been a sack. Yeah, the Cam Kitchen quote-unquote sack. But today's game, 
one sack by a, a true freshman, Drew Nichols, and and then that's it. And that was on, but it was a big third down sack. But but still, you know, you, you expect this fearsome Delaware defense. But you know, here we are getting one sack, and I should correct myself. They officially credited it to Caleb Ashworth. Okay, so they gave him the transfer defensive lineman. So they give it to Ashworth, who also but still just a sack. Your point stands. Also had a big um, taunt, almost like a taunting personal foul called on him against Towson. Um, that was really added fuel to the fire for this, especially for the fans in the stadium. Um, and I, I guess that's another point that we can get to after we talk about the defense was just the the different the differential in <laughs> in the fans in the stands for both sides. Um, but yeah, definitely. The fact that they couldn't get, they couldn't buy a sack. Sure, we got two interceptions and possibly a third if they counted Nasir Adderley's at the end of this game. But I mean, really um, poor statistical one. Obviously, we got the the safety, which which played crucial. But statistically, this wasn't a, a great game for Delaware, especially with Albany allowing 33 and a half points to their team, yeah. and we only scored 21. Yeah, we'll go back to the offense right after this, but I think the defense did enough when you hold the other team to 16 points. Your team should win the football game. Yeah. I'm a believer in that, especially at this level, when I don't think it's very hard for your offense to score three touchdowns. I think that should be an expectation. But your point about pressure stands, and a lot of what was talked about last week was why is Delaware just bringing three guys a lot of the time? And today, yeah. they got out of that a little bit. They brought four or five-man pressures more than we have seen in the last couple of weeks. Last week, the risk of bringing four or five guys is that you're going to give Tom Flacco all of these lanes to run. And if you don't get to him, he's going to take off up the field with green pastures, no linebackers in yep. the area, and he's going to make make you pay for it. And in the first half of that game, his escapability, you talk about him having 10 seconds, sometimes it was 15, you just stand there. And he'd slide to his left, slide to his right, and take all time in the world to get the ball off. He knows that he can do that because he's the most elusive quarterback in this league. Second half of that game, I think they did a little bit better of a job containing him. We yeah. talked about that last week. Today, the escapability wasn't a problem. There just wasn't a lot of pressure. And when you're facing a true freshman quarterback in his first career start, you'd hope that you could rattle him a little bit more, that you could get to him. And this is an Albany offensive line that, as we were looking through the stats before the game, has given up four or five sacks in a couple of games this season. Multiple. Other teams have taken advantage of that against Vincent Testaverde, who's a more experienced quarterback, a redshirt senior, who's played at some higher-level programs. Miami, Texas Not a Tech. true freshman in his first start. You would have hoped you could get the guys pinning their ears back at the end of that game yep. and getting to him just a little bit more. But let's go to the offense. We mentioned Pat Kehoe briefly when we were talking about Albany's offense in comparison. But what was up with him today? What was wrong with Pat Kehoe? 16 to 35 through the air. I wish I knew. <laughs> that's, the th that's the bigger thing is I wish I knew what was up. Um, I had said uh, in the broadcast before that big drive, I, I said, you know, I don't know what's going on with Pat Kehoe, but if he doesn't get out of this funk, we don't win this football game. And luckily for that last drive, he was able to turn it on. I wish we could have drive-by-drive uh, -drive statistics. Obviously, those big uh, Joe Walker receptions, um, I think there was one to either uh, Papali or, or, or Scarf that played that played big as well. But, you know, just a, a, a big drive from him and getting it to Kanai Kane as well. Um, setting up play-action plays because they had been running Kanai Kane, who only averaged 2.7 today. 
you can't you really can't win you can't win games as a rushing football team uh when you when you're averaging you're not establishing the run um but and that's the thing i mean that's a consistent theme in in even games like last week against towson they were Obviously, the punts influenced the actual numbers, but when you look at what Lee and Kane did, both of those guys were between three and four yards of carry last week. Yep. And again, last year we beat this t- this Albany team twenty-two to three, and we did that with I think five of eleven passing from from uh, less JP. than a hundred passing yards. And I think it was I think it was closer to fifty-one. I think <laughs> I think Kehoe over tripled what JP Caruso had. Uh, through the air last year, but that was a 19-point victory, mainly because we were able to establish the run in a way that we were not able to today. I think Corey Spruill was over 100 yards last year, um, and Kenai Kane had some similar numbers to what he had today. I think fewer carries for, for the similar 40, amount 50 of, yards. similar amount of yards and a touchdown. Um, of course, he capitalized twice today, um, really pounding it into the end zone, um, but he wasn't able to do it on the first drive, um, you know, we called two of those uh, direct snap plays that he just wasn't able to ca- to, to um, capitalize on. And so you look at this team, um, and they just played a poor offensive game. You know, last week it was the special teams. I mean, really in the defense, it was, a, it was an all-around, we need to figure out what we had done wrong to allow this top, you know, top 10 team to come in here and you know, score 36 points. Today, it's, okay, our defense did well. We need to stop those penalties. We need to, you know, calm ourselves down a little bit. But the bigger thing is, what's going on with this offense with two games left, including one incredibly important one against Stony Brook next week? So what changes? What needs to change for this Blue Hens offense? And, you know, which performance is closer to what you think this this team actually is? This week's performance, or a performance like we've seen against Richmond when they score 43 points, or against Towson last week when they score 40, obviously different teams, different defenses, different conditions, but which is more the norm, and what does Delaware need to do to get back to some of those previous levels? I think what I want to see this team is what we put up against New Hampshire. That was a statement win. Um, Not only did we have a Sports Center top 10 play, I mean, that incredible Nasir Adderley kick return. But we also, ha- we put up, I think, 20 more points than they did. Not a 1,000% not a sure about the final score of that one. 38 to 13. Exactly. You can't, you know, you you put up a 20. 20- That's the type of performance you would expect to come out here against Albany with. Or every week, you know, obviously. Well, especially teams that you're favored this heavily yeah, against. And, and you know, what what's going to happen is I'm a little scared to see what Nova puts up. That's a game that, that scares me a little bit more than it should now. I mean, this is a team that beat Temple at Temple. You know, Temple's a, a, a an FBS school. They shouldn't have won that game. But here they are coming out, uh, you know, against Stony Brook and only losing by two. Coming out against Maine, who just beat JMU and only losing by three, but then getting blown out in back-to-back games, not even scoring a point. Um, so this is a Villanova team coming up that could potentially, um, you know, play upset to Delaware. But another scary part is is seeing Stony Brook right there at four and two in the conference, and they they could look to play spoiler in Delaware season. 
Well, and Stony Brook has plenty to play for in their own right, sitting at 6-3 and three overall and 4-2 and two in CAA play. They're one of many teams right on that bubble in the CAA, and this is a good time now to transition into this latter part of the schedule. We mentioned it off the top. Delaware is tied for the lead in the conference with a 5-1 and one CAA record, tied with Maine. They have the most wins in the conference at 7-2 and two overall, and they're on the longest winning streak in the conference. So despite all of this conversation about What's wrong with this team? And I think all of these points that we've been discussing, are obviously I think they are because I've been making half of them. Yeah. But I think I think this is valid discussion. I think this is a discussion that Danny Rocco and his coaching staff have to have within the organization and with the players, and I think they will have them. Rocco last week was very quick to point out how many mistakes and flaws they made, and I'm sure he did the same thing, if not to a greater extent today. But with all of that being said, this is a seven-win college football team in the FCS most difficult conference, they control their own fate. If they can split these next two games against Stony Brook and Villanova, they will be into the playoffs more than likely. It's never happened that an eight overall win team and a six conference win team from the CAA has been left out of the FCS playoffs since they moved to their current format in 2013. If they win all three, or now the next two, Just two yeah. they're getting a share of the CAA championship, and it could be a lone championship should Maine lose one of the Black Bears' final two matchups of the season, which are against Richmond on the road and at home against Elon. What will Delaware need to do in an overall sense coming out on the road again against Stony Brook, a team that last year they had to come from behind to beat, and it was one of their signature wins coming back from a twenty to seven halftime deficit with Caruso at twenty four to twenty. Yeah. What what does needs to go into this week of preparation and adjustments from this Albany game to pull off a similar performance against a hungry top twenty five team like the Sea Wolves? Evenly matched play. This team cannot continue to afford these first half leads or potentially even these first half deficits and expect their second half to be just as good or better. I want one game where this Delaware team can put up 14 in the first half, 14 in the second half, and win 28-20. You know, something, yeah. you know, a game where this Delaware team doesn't have to... They're just under to, control. Yeah. There are no heroics. It's just Pat Kehoe throwing for two touchdowns, Kanai Kane running for one, maybe a defensive touchdown. Maybe Dijon Lee gets in, gets pay dirt for you know. I think the first time this year. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if he scored. I don't he, think I, so. I, mean, I don't think so either. And so, you know, maybe you know these guys. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a big Nasir Adderley punt return. You know, <laughs> you know, don't have to barrel over yeah, anybody. And, and, you know, ruin their lives for this. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a family. Yeah, okay. but I mean, uh, that's the kind of. I just want an evenly matched evenly played half-to-half football game. And Stony Brook's going to give them an even match, or, I mean, absolutely a harder match than today, but if Delaware's playing up to their potential as a top-10 team, likely in the FCS top 25, Stony Brook's going to be a top-15 team, right? Like, that's still a really tough team. You're going on the road, so they have that home field advantage over you. This is knowing, like, I I would favor Stony Brook, I guess what I'll get to in this game if I were an odds maker, because they're at home, and because Delaware, despite the record, has shown that they're vulnerable. There are plenty of spots that you can beat them. Yeah, getting, I mean, putting today's games aside, this is a team that came into today, Delaware ranked 13th, Stony Brook ranked 16th. Right, very close. I mean, and except for, you know, Stony Brook's two losses in conference versus Delaware's one, 
uh, and Delaware's overall record that is also just one better over Stony Brook. You know, these are, are very similar teams when you look at this FCS schedule um, and this the, this the FCS top 25 in general. And, you know, Delaware, you know, should they win this game? It's 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 a banner season for us. Should we lose this game? It all comes down to that November 17th Battle of the Blue against Nova. The fans were out in full force from Newark today, yeah. inhabiting almost the entire stand opposite where we were. We were on the quote-unquote home side. Delaware took over the, albeit smaller, but still pretty big away side. That included the student and they section. Were, yeah, the, the empty. I mean, if you think Delaware student sections are empty, go to an Albany game. You'll there feel a lot better. eight people total. Yeah, and the band was about of about 15. <laughs> I mean, the band was I'd small. Say, okay, I'd say 40 to 50, but they had just as many cheerleaders as as marching band members. Right. And th- those were all on the opposite side with all of the Delaware fans. So props to the Delaware fans. And they got loud, especially in some of those moments at the end of the game. They were just as equal. Not just as equal. I'd, I'd say they were like, louder. I would say like 60-40. Albany, Albany fans, they, they showed up, though, when their team got that 16-15 lead. They, they, they got the hype. Lead, yeah. They got hype. So I give them props for that. But it's a tough – I mean, we, we know what it's like as, as people who've been around the program, right? The two, four, and seven seasons. Albany's worse than that right now. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of reasons to go to the Albany games. Um, but I want to hit you with we'll call this, maybe make this a little segment notes from the trip, or as I like to put it, save it for the pod. If you go on a <laughs> away trip with me, it's all about the content that we're going to produce. So we'll go throughout the day. Josh and I have been with each other since 7.30 a.m. this morning when we <laughs> picked up the car and made the drive up here to Albany, and we'll drive back at some point tomorrow. But we get into these great conversations, and then I yeah. shut them down, and I say save it for the save pod. Save it for the pod, man. So here's an opportunity to bring up any of those points, <laughs> and we'll start it with your thoughts on um, – What's it called? What's the, what's the name of the stadium we spent our whole afternoon in? A Casey Stadium. Casey Stadium. Ba- Tom and Mary Casey right. Stadium. Our first trips for both of us to Tom and Mary Casey Stadium. How does it stack up to Delaware Stadium, other stadiums in the CAA? What did you like? What did you dislike about the stadium? And should fans who are listening to this consider a trip next time that Delaware plays at Albany? If you've ever been to a minor league baseball stadium, it felt very similar to That's me. That's a good comp. There was a concourse with better food options than Delaware. You know, like you said, it's not, you know, uh, Conrad School of the Sciences <laughs> <laughs> selling hot dogs and Pepsi. No disrespect to Conrad School of <laughs> Science. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a, um, you know, it, it's it's legitimate restaurants, um, you know, same, very similar. Like, it felt like I was walking through a minor league, like the, just that one concourse on our side. And that is just the one concourse. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, especially for... What was the cap- capacity? Uh, I think I think they said it it was eight, but it could be twenty four. So I, I how does it get to twenty four? <laughs> I mean, that's the question. I don't understand how they, how they could bump <laughs> it Delaware up Stadium 16. for reference is twenty two. Yeah, I don't know where. 
And there's no end zone stands at this place. Yeah, no, I don't know if they're like <laughs> setting up chairs or, you know, if the fire marshal is just like. Eh. They count the players too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you pack the field out, then you can put 24th K out there. But, you know, if not, then it's just eight. But um, it was nicer than, than Delaware Stadium, in my opinion, sim- just from the amenities. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the way you like get to your seats too. It's not yeah. the, it's not the 20. Seven flights of steps. <laughs> yeah. Well, technically on the other side, what it's A, and then it goes up to like yeah. double F. Right, so forty <laughs> steps. Sorry, it's, it's crazy. I mean, especially. Um, but I mean, same, very similar things. I mean, when we broadcast from Delaware Stadium, we're over there in the away press box. Here, they didn't have an away press box. You were just out to the, out the out, elements. Out the elements. We are feeling it with you guys. Yeah. Um. So definitely. Uh. It, don't rush to, to <laughs> Tom and to Tom and Casey Stadium. It might be Bob in in Casey Stadium. Casey Stadium in Albany. It's the one that's in New York. Don't <laughs> don't rush to it. Um, definitely, uh, just stay in the the warmth of your house. Any other notes from the trip? Any save it for the pod moments? I think one thing that stood out to me is when we were getting our dinner, and you said something along the lines of if there's a party to be had, we're going to find, or fun to be had, we're going to find it. Yeah. And person was like, that's a great way to live. And you said, well, we got to represent the number one party school. <laughs> and she's, she said, where might that be? And you said, the University of Delaware. And she said, ha, ha, ha. Where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one thing. Um, and then, yeah, we talked to a couple uh, next to us who – um, you know, they, one of them went to a, a small college in Albany and then another one went to a, sco- a small college in Boston and they, they were just talking about, you know, oh, like what's, you know, what's Delaware like? And we were like, well, you know, our, our football team's pretty decent we, now, but we, we still can't <laughs> you get got any. In, you got into the list of celebrities a little early <laughs> and the, the list of national level celebrities. It, it really stops at three. It was pretty thin. It was pretty thin, obviously. Well, you hit Joe Flacco first, which, which took he's a couple not more steps. He's a Delawarean. Steps. Yeah, he's not even, well, none of the, only one of these three people we're going <laughs> to mention was born in Delaware. Then you went to Joe Biden, obvious, obvious selection, yeah. and then you went Aubrey Plaza, which yeah. is a little April, bit of a newer April from Parks and Rec. Right, a little bit of a newer one. If if you're an older listener, you might not know Aubrey Plaza, but she went to Ursuline Academy in Wilmington. She's an actress, yeah, uh, on the national level. And then after that, it was like we're done. <laughs> so we said, uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Christie, Chris Christie's losing his standing. Which, a little you know, bit. after after Fort Lee and his whole. Uh, <laughs> him out on the beach <laughs> after closing the beaches. <laughs> He's not very in very good and then standing. Deladon, it's like, mm, uh, you know, do, <laughs> do they, they know do the they WNBA? Watch, yeah, do they watch the WNBA? I don't know. But yeah, um, I mean, one of the one of the other big things from the trip was the the car ride up when we remembered who Ti was. <laughs> yeah, and, a lot uh, of early two thousands rap. I got to hear the the beautiful falsetto of Brandon Holva. <laughs> it's quite a treat. Well. D- those those who don't know Josh Steele is multi talented. He's not just behind the mic with WVUD. He's he, he's he's quite a quite a talent, a rapper, a singer, <laughs> a music producer, and part of an acapella group on campus. So he, he's he's well versed. Hey, and uh, if I'm complimenting Brandon, you know that it's it's got to be true. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other notes for the pod? Anything else on Delaware football? On the trip? On Albany? Things you're looking forward to in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I can't wait to be back on the call with you. A uh, lot Aww. of fun. 
<laughs> save for the pod. Save for the, save no. For the pod. No, um, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and uh, can't wait to call that battle of the blue game. So we'll see you back out there in two weeks at uh, Delaware Stadium. Absolutely. Jake Lampert and Nick Canella take over for us next weekend. They'll make the trip to Stony Brook to call that one beginning at 3.15 p.m. on 91.3 WVUD. Then it's back to Delaware Stadium for the regular season finale between Delaware and Villanova. Our coverage begins at 11.40 a.m. It's an early start on 91.3 WVUD. Josh and I will have coverage of that game. And then for the first time, I'm going to mention this. We will have coverage of playoffs wherever they may be should Delaware make it into the FCS top 24. It's a 24-team bracket. If they make it into the playoffs, there's a chance it'd be at Delaware Stadium the week end following the Villanova game. There's a chance it'd be elsewhere. We'll travel with them wherever they go. Some more information on that will be available on our social media at WVUD Sports and online WVUD.org should Delaware advance to the playoffs. We'll, we'll be with them every step of the way. Thank you for listening to all of our coverage of Delaware versus Albany throughout the afternoon and now on the Delaware Football Roundup. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday on Blue Hunt Sports Gauge 5 to 7 p.m. on 91.3 WVUD and right here in the Blue Hunt Sports Gauge podcast feed. Thanks for listening. Thank you.